Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, November 24th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts, Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel, and now home of an on-the-spot embroidery service. Also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back, or give them a call for more information on all your screen printing and embroidery needs. 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Or go to BeantownAthletics.com. And make sure you tell them I sent you. So week number 11 in the books as the New England Patriots, they defeat the Buffalo Bills last night on Monday Night Football 20-13. to Though I said this on Twitter last night and I'll say it again right now, I'm adding an extra seven points to the Patriots score. So in my book, in, when I go back and I look at the results of the games that the Patriots played this season. I will have the Patriots mock down winning this game 27 to 13. That's how I will mock it down in my book. 27 to 13. Because the officials almost blew this one. They almost blew this game. Now, I'm sitting there going at the end of the first half. Uh, now, at the half, the Patriots led 10 to 3. Okay? A uh, couple field goals exchanged. And it was a 3-3 game. It was very close in the first half. Rex Ryan's defense, they did a nice job disguising the blitz, sending guys from places in which sometimes Brady knew it was coming, sometimes he didn't. Brady got hit an awful lot in this game. It's not something you wanted to see happen. Uh, you even saw the Patriots, in order to combat this, they put Brian Stork back at center because I think there's some type of comfort level there with this Patriots offensive line when Stork is at center. They put him at center last year. And after weeks four, five, into week six, that seemed to fix the issues on the Patriots' offensive line. I mean, that's still an issue for this Patriots team. But one thing last year's Patriots team showed us and proved, at least to me, is that you can fix offensive line issues as bad as they may seem. You can fix them during the season. And maybe, just maybe, moving Brian Stork back to that center position down the stretch here is going to fix what's going on up front. But Tom Brady took a, took a lot of hits last night, a lot of big hits too. Uh, so you got to credit the Bills' defense and Rex Ryan for what they were able to do in the first half. I mean, this was a 3-3 game, but they sent someone in on a blitz at the very end of that first half, at the end of that second quarter, on 3rd and 10 from the Buffalo 20, Tom Brady and shotgun. You get the blitz coming uh, from Tom, you know, Tom Brady's looking right. The blitz right at him. What does he do? He dumps it off. He reads the blitz. He knows it's coming. Dumps it off to James White. James White runs into the end zone down the right sideline. And the Patriots take a 10-3 lead. And at that point... I'm thinking, all right, you got the double whammy. Remember the double whammy? You score at the end of the first half, and then you come out to begin the first half getting the football, and you also put it in the end zone, or you kick a field goal. One way or the other. You come out at the end of the half. You got the ball to begin the third quarter in your own building. Monday night football, you get that big touchdown, and it seemed like that was sort of 
the breaking point, right? Because the Bills are doing a nice job of getting to Tom Brady, and I won't lie, I mean, there was a level of concern there, even from someone like myself who sits here and believes that the Patriots, given all the injuries that they have, and they suffered a couple more last night, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes, but at the time in the first quarter, early second quarter, middle through most of the first half, the Bills were getting to Brady, they were hitting him hard, and I'm going, this needs to stop, and it's a 3-3 game, and there was a level of concern uh, to me. But the Bills miss a field goal, they give the Patriots some great field position, and what do the Patriots do? They go down to the Bills 20, and on a 3rd and 10, at the very end of the half, Tom Brady reads a blitz, something that the Bills were doing so well up to that point, he read it. Tom Brady, he just showed you what he was and why he's so great. You can blitz him all you want. You can get to him as much as you want. But at some point, he's going to make the adjustments. He made the adjustment, and he dumped it off to James White, and they score a touchdown. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, Bills had a nice little game plan, but that was the breaking point. And now the Patriots will get the ball back to begin the second half. They'll drive it downfield, and they'll score again. And they will take a 17-3 lead. And if you watched how the second half began, uh, you'll know why I add an extra seven points to the final score. Yes, on paper, it will say the Patriots won 20 to 13. On your paper, on the pieces of paper, the official score paper, on my paper, it will say 27 to 13. Because to begin that second half, the Patriots have a first and 10 at their own 31. Tom Brady rolling out of the pocket. The official thought he stepped out of bounds or threw it away. Tom Brady didn't throw it away. Tom Brady didn't step out of bounds. He found Danny Amendola wide open who had broke away from his receiver because he continued to keep, he continued to run a route and try to get open instead of maybe thinking that Brady was going to throw it out of bounds or was going to run out of bounds. Brady was never going to run out of bounds, by the way. He was going to throw it out of bounds, if anything. Right? This is the New England Patriots. This is Tom Brady. This isn't a team that does something stupid. You'd see a lot of stupid quarterbacks in in this league in that situation probably run out of bounds. Not Brady. He would have thrown that out of bounds if he thought he didn't have a play. But he had a play because as Brady was running out of bounds, it looked like I was going to throw it away. It looked like Amendola peels off from his defender and Brady finds him with a pass. Now, the problem was... The ref on the fucking sideline blew the whistle. And and he can come up with any reason that he wants to. Rex Ryan was in his way. Whatever. Here's what he thought. He thought Tom Brady was throwing that ball out of bounds. That's what he thought. He assumed. I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he, if he took the seven points, the seven and a half points. Bottom line is this. That can't happen. That cannot happen in an NFL game. It just can't. It was that you literally took seven points away from the Patriots. And I heard some people going, well, it wouldn't have been a touchdown. What do you mean? Watch it in real time when the whistle is blown. Forget about when the pass was caught. The, the ball was in the air when the ref blew the whistle. But so forget about that. It doesn't matter. What matters is, was Danny Amendola wide open before the whistle was blown? Yes. He just cut away from his, his the defender. Amendola cut away, the receiver cut away from the defender. He did. He was wide open. Brady found him. Down the field, it was wide open. You had one, you would have had one blocker on one safety back there for the Bills, right? Or one cornerback. 
it would have been a touchdown. I don't care what anybody tells me. You cannot convince me that wouldn't have been seven points. It would have been seven points, and the Patriots would have had a 17-3 to lead, and that would have been, well, should I use the word? Deflating. I mean, it would have been. Instead, the officials, they gave us a whole new definition of double whammy. I mean, <laughs> because not only did they, they blow the play dead, and that didn't count, the Patriots had to attempt a field goal, Guskowski misses a 54-yard field goal, and we're not used to seeing that. And then the Bills drive down 56 yards, and they score a touchdown. And all of a sudden, it what should be a 17-3 game is a 10-10 game. I'm losing my fucking mind at this point in time. And you could see me on Twitter. I was tweeting out how I felt. Follow me, at Danny Picard. The refs took seven points away from the Patriots. They And you, you can't... There's nothing that you can do to fix that. You blew the whistle for no good reason. For no reason at all. You took seven points away from the Patriots. And then the Bills drive down 56 yards and score. And the game's tied at 10. Tied at 10. Now, at no point did I think that the Patriots were not going to come back and win this game. The game was tied. All right, it's a new game. It's, you know, the word I kept thinking about was deflating, and I just fucking hate that word, and I just fucking hate Roger Goodell, and I hate the NFL, and I especially hate the officials who, if you have listened to me time and time again, when it came to the Flakegate and reading the Wells Report, I have told you many times, the biggest issue in the NFL is not the air pressure in a football. It's the fact that the officials... If you want to go by integrity of the game and the rule book and the rules and you want to be so literal with all the rules, the the officials are the guys that need to enforce the rules, but they need to do it properly. If you read the Wells Report, you knew that the officials did not care about the rules, especially about PSI. So the biggest issue is the officiating, the crew, the guys that just seem utterly clueless before, during, and after games. That's the biggest issue with the National Football League is the officiating. It's, it sucks. It's brutal. And last night was a perfect example in this game. And no greater example than that play when Amendola broke away from his defender. The receiver breaks away. The ball's in the air. The whistle's blown. All right, Amendola catches it after the whistle was blown. But he already toasted the defender. And he was, he was gone. Touchdown. Refs take seven points away. And the Bills drive down the field, tie the game at 10. But even at that point, it's pissed off as I was, I still had a pretty good feel that the Patriots were going were gonna to win this ball game. I did. I had a, I had a pretty good feel that that, that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, they in the third quarter, a little bit later, uh, after a couple punts, they drive down the field, and, you know, they get that big play to Amendola down for 40 yards, right, over the middle. And, um... You know, Danny Amendola, he he came up a little injured on that, and I'll talk about that in a second, but just to finish his thought on that drive, you know, you rush up to the play, you go all, you know, you you go all no huddle, and James White with the six-yard run to get it into the end zone. And at that point, you know, you take the lead 17-10, to Uh, But the problem is, you know, back to that play that set up uh, the touchdown, Danny Amendola got hurt, and he was taken out of the game, and it's a knee injury, and the reports 
uh, that he is having an MRI today. Uh, I think I read some reports that said Danny Amendola was, you know, hopeful that it's nothing too serious, or at least the team was, but I mean, you never know. You never know, and I don't know that we'll actually ever know how bad it is. I don't think the Patriots, you know, we know how they work the injury report. Uh, what we do know is that he left the game, and when Danny Amendola leaves the game at that point in time, yes, you have a 17-10 to 10 lead, but you still have a, a quarter and change to go. I mean, you still have... You know, in this game, you have a solid, what, 15 minutes left to play and then some, right? You have a, really more than that, 18, 19, 20 minutes left in this game. So you need to figure out when you get the ball back, if you need to score more points, how, just who are you going to go to? You don't have Edelman anymore. You already lost Deion Lewis. Uh, you do, you know, your offensive line is banged up to the point where, you know, you put Stork back at center in this game from, from at least most of it from what I saw. And the, the Bills are putting crazy pressure on Tom Brady early on in this one. So, really, your third down binkies, the guys that you would go to on third down to get those big plays, Amendola, we saw, was, you know, he, he became the guy. Not just in this game, but even in last game. And even going back, I point out that Jets game earlier in the season where Deion Lewis didn't play and Edelman kept dropping passes. Amendola became the go-to guy down the stretch making the big plays. And in this one, before he went down, Amendola, nine receptions, 117 yards, and um, you know made some big plays. When you lose him, I'm thinking to myself, all right, what do you do? Because you know you can sense the panic around New England, right? You can sense it. All of a sudden, the Patriots are without, they're without all these big weapons. And Rob Gronkowski only caught two passes last night. He was targeted seven times, caught two passes, 37 yards. It wasn't your generic Gronk night, right? It just, was, it just wasn't that type of game. You needed somebody else. And then you got, you got Dobson went out there, he caught a big pass, and then he got hurt, and he got helped off the field. It's going, what the fuck is going on right now? Everybody is getting hurt for this team. And what I saw, and, and I know what I'm about to say, some people are going to accuse me of sipping on the Kool-Aid. They're going to do it. And if you want to do it, fine, be my guest. But here's what I know, and, and I say this all the time, and we people keep telling me, well, if you lose this guy, if you lose that guy, you know, it's, that's too much to overcome. I, I've heard, I can't even tell you how many times I have heard this when it comes to the Patriots over the last 10 years. I can't, I, I, too many times. It's almost like we hear it every season. It happens every season. And yet, it seems like every season the Patriots are able to do something to still get somebody to step up. The next man up. And everybody's got their list of guys. Well, you can't lose. You can lose him, him, and him, and I'll still be concerned. But you definitely can't lose him, right? We said that about Edelman. And what I try to tell you was, look, what Edelman has been able to do in his career as a wide receiver to use the word replace. You can't replace him. Like that's not going to happen. Nobody's ever said that, right? Nobody's ever said, well, you can replace Edelman. But what you can do is put someone in position. Uh, to be a go-to receiver and a reliable receiver that's reliable enough that that gets Tom Brady's that has Tom Brady's confidence enough where they can be a game changer and they can be someone that can still help this Patriots team put up points and put the ball in the end zone. Maybe not as reliable as Julian Edelman, but 
somebody that can be reliable enough. Danny Amendola was that guy, in my opinion. And I, I, I think it's going beyond opinion what you saw in, you know, not just in the previous games, but also last night. Amendola goes down, and you know, you get another drive where you start giving it the, you start giving the ball to Legarrette Plant, and that, I mean that's a. Look, that's a good strategy anyways, late in a game on a cold night at Gillette. Nobody wants to tackle LeGarrette Blount at that point. Nobody. Who wants to, to tackle LeGarrette Blount? There is not one person that wants to tackle LeGarrette Blount in the second half of this game on a freezing cold night at Gillette Stadium. Nobody. But um, you saw on the drive after the touchdown that put the Patriots up 17-10, in which Amendola got hurt and left the game, Tom Brady... That next drive, they punted, okay? But on a third and five play from their own 39, Brady's in shotgun with about four minutes left in the third quarter. Third and five. And he finds Chris Hopper over the middle for 27 yards. Now, there's a penalty. Marcus Cannon, it was called holding. I guess, what did he do? Kind of, you know, he kind of jumped on a guy that was sort of near Brady's feet. Eh. I, did, was, would Brady have got, I think Brady still would have got that ball off anyways. Even if Marcus Cannon didn't have a little hold or whatever he did. It wasn't really anything too crazy. I mean, I guess it was enough where, all right, if a ref's standing there and you're looking for it, you call it. But the bottom line is this. I don't think that, I don't think that would have prevented Brady from getting that ball off over the middle to Chris Hopper. I think he was still going to find Chris Hopper. Now, Hopper made the play, was all pumped up. I was pumped up, and I stand up off my couch, and I go, next man up! Next man up! That was it! That was your next man up moment. Now, I know it got called back, and it ended up being third and 15, and you didn't get enough yards on the uh, Brandon Bolden play, and you ended up punting only to get the ball back after a fumble because McKelvin just could not hold on to the football last night. He has a tough time holding on to the football at, you know, in Foxborough, but he couldn't hold on to it. Patriots get it back and they kick a field goal. But before that, and it's a play that you might, you know, it, it didn't count as a completion, but it was a 27-yard gain that got called back because of a Marcus Cannon hold to Chris Hopper. Hopper made a tremendous catch. And I tell you what, as we, as I sit here, and I think next man up, that to me was the next man up moment where I'm going, all right, Chris Hopper, practice squad guy. They, they, they sign him. They sign him from the practice squad. This, the Chris Hopper story, it has Bill Belichick, New England Patriots, written all over it. Written all over it. Think about it. Chris Hopper, 21 years old. Left college early at Cal. Was at Cal. Left early. Gambled on himself. Left after his junior year. Declared for the draft. Everybody passed on him. Nobody wanted him. Nobody. Everybody passed on him. After the draft, the Patriots said, we'll scoop you up. They scoop him up, right? They put him down to the practice squad. They cut him and then sign him to the practice squad. And then they just sign him to the 53-man roster, or, or to the main roster, last week. And here is Chris Hopper. In the game, in a seven-point ball game, in the second half, at home, in week 11, for a team that's trying to stay undefeated and still battling for the one seed in the AFC, you lose Edelman, you've already lost Deion Lewis, you lose Amendola in this game, Dobson gets helped off the field. Who's the guy? 
LaFell didn't seem to be getting much action. Gronk seemed to be covered well all night. They go to Chris Hopper. He makes a phenomenal catch over the middle. It got called back because of a Marcus Cannon hold. But it just has me thinking. All right, is this the guy? Is this the next man up? Is Chris Hopper going to be the next man up? And you know what? You'll, because I believe and tell you he will be, which I'm doing right now, today, I'm telling you that Chris Hopper is the next man up. People will tell me I'm drinking and sipping the Kool-Aid. You're sipping the Patriots Kool-Aid. But, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's the guy that everybody is panicking about? They're panicking now, or they were panicking because Julian Edelman went down. He's out for the rest of the regular season. Edelman, after surgery on his foot, it it looks like he's going to be back, what, during the bye week? The first round bye? And he'll be back for the divisional round of the playoffs? So we think, so we hope? Well, you know, this is somebody that we call irreplaceable now, which, which, which I am also doing. But this is also someone that, don't forget, I don't think... Anybody would have imagined he would be irreplaceable. Nobody would have. Nobody. Maybe Tom Brady and Belichick, the only ones. If you're sitting there right now trying to tell me that Julian Edelman, you knew by 2015 he was going to be an irreplaceable piece to the Patriots offense, well, guess what? You are a fucking liar. Okay? You're lying to me. You didn't feel that way. There's no way you felt that way. There's no way. I have people in the business who tried to, when I said before the season that Edelman, you know, talking about him potentially playing some more defensive back because when you lose Revis and you lose Browner, you need to do some things to get some bodies back there. And this is a football team. You know, yeah, I, I it, was a, it was a long shot. It was something that probably you look back was unrealistic based on the fact that Edelman is so important to the offense. You don't want him also playing defense. But, I, there's some people that, that try to say, defense, he doesn't play defense. Yes, he fucking did. I think people forget where Edelman came from. He was First of all, he was a quarterback in college. A quarterback at Kent State. He was drafted in the seventh round in 2009, which to me is basically like undrafted. Right? He's drafted by the Patriots. He was a quarterback turned wide receiver, but he also played defensive back. The year they beat the Ravens and went to the Super Bowl... Uh, and we know what happened after that. Julian Edelman w- made some of the biggest plays for the Patriots' defense in that AFC Championship game. He was a, w- he was a quarterback turned wide receiver, special teamer slash defensive back. A couple years later, all of a sudden, he's a, he's a one thousand yard reception guy, one hundred re- receptions, thousand yards through the air, and he's now irreplaceable. Like, you're listening to this, right? This, you're thinking back to Edelman and how we all felt about it at the time. There was not one person that could tell me they knew this is where Edelman's career was going to go. The, the Patriots turn water into wine. They do. They do. And, and not to stick with the religious analogies here, but to me, when I hear somebody say, up, oh, this guy goes down, Patriots can't overcome this one, that's that doesn't even make sense. That's blasphemous. That, 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 that makes no sense. So, you know, I, I, look, bottom line is this. The Patriots continue to plug guys in at, at any point of the season. And these guys make big plays. 
if they can gain the trust of the quarterback and the coach. And if you're telling me that Chris Hopper is, and I know you say, well, he has to be because they have no bodies left. Well, there's a reason why the Patriots jumped all over him after he went undrafted. There's a reason why uh, when they, you know, they cut him early in the season, two days later they added him to the practice squad and kept him around. There's a reason why they picked him out of the practice squad, guys. And to me, there's just, it's the perfect Patriots story. Guy that nobody expected really to step in and have a major role, much like we never expected Edelman to step in and have this type of role to be irreplaceable. Um, Chris Hopper actually was a receiver in college. Pretty damn good one, too, at Cal to the point where he left school early and then was passed up on every passed up by everybody. Patriots say, hey, we'll take him. We'll take him. Nobody wants him. We'll have him. We'll take him. And here he is, 21 years old, undrafted rookie free agent, wide receiver for the New England Patriots, and he made a phenomenal catch on third and five over the middle last night to the point where I'm standing up going, yep, next man up. Here it is. People going to think I'm crazy when I'm saying Chris Hopp is going to play a major role for this Patriots team, but it's just all I know. All I know is the Patriots continue to turn water into wine, and it looks like to me on that one pass that they're going to do it again. Now, the, the Brady interception where he threw it downfield, it was sort of intended for Hopper, but that was not on him. That was on Tom Brady. But, you know, as I sit here and look at this Patriots offense and as banged up as they are now, we're waiting to see on Amendola. I don't know how long he's going to be out for, if he's even going to be out. But let's say he is, you know, worst case scenario, Amendola, let's say he is out an extended period of time. I just, look, everything that I've seen this Patriots organization do and every person on this offense that I've seen them turn to as long as Tom Brady is throwing them the football, I've seen the Patriots be able to have success with these guys. And and I'm not trying to take anything away from Edelman, not trying to take anything away from Amendola. I, I think this is a praise to the system, and I think this is an ultimate praise to the quarterback and the coach for believing in someone, and also with the quarterback having the ability uh, to, to get that guy the football, and I don't think that's going to stop. I really don't. I really don't. People say, well, oh, come on. You're going to go with Chris Hopper? Who is this guy? I'll, I'll say to you, I mean, were you going with Julian Edelman four years ago? Were you? If you, if you tell me you were, you're lying. You're lying. There's no way you ever would have thought Julian Edelman would be the irreplaceable type player that he currently is. So, I'm telling you right now, I can see it happening. I can see Chris Hopper playing a huge role for this Patriots offense. He he might need to. But um, that's something to keep an eye out for. That's all I'm saying. Patriots win it 20-13. The Patriots defense had a very good night. Though, I will say this... it doesn't seem like they try to teach turn, getting their defensive backs to turn around and make a play in the football because for the second straight week, the Patriots' defensive backs could have had three or four interceptions on some underthrown deep balls by Tyrod Taylor. I mean, underthrown, right? Just underthrown deep balls. And, you know, we talk about, you know, pass interference plays, Look, I would like to I forget about pass interference, forget about potential penalties, what's a penalty, what isn't. There are a couple times, you know, I, these Patriots defensive backs could have turned around and just had an easy interception, easy turnovers. But instead, they just they don't turn, they don't look. They're, yes, they're underthrown, uh, but I feel like you got to make a team like that pay. Make them pay for those underthrown footballs. 
And uh, I look at Tyrod Taylor. I mean, before the game. Oh, the pregame. Oh, man. I'm not somebody that's got so worked up the last couple days about ESPN coverage of the Monday night game and say, well, you know, they ripped the Patriots about the flake gate. Now they're coming to Gillette to cover this one. And sometimes, you know, I heard Steve Young throwing the verbal bouquet at Tom Brady's. Same thing with Trent Dilfer. I mean, look, I'd rather have him throwing the verbal bouquet than sit there all night and try to knock Brady for something as stupid as the flake gate. So good. Throw the verbal bouquets. I'd, I'd rather see that. But then you get a guy like Ray Lewis, who I, I turned on the pregame, and they're on the field, and they're sitting there in that little desk that they got, right? Susie Culver, uh, Steve Young, Trent Dilfer, Ray Lewis, and Ray. I turn it to the station, and Ray Lewis is talking about he's talking about a quarterback, and he's talking about a quarterback that has he's got that he says he's got that it factor. You know, this, this guy's got the it factor, not just on the field, but off the field. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, he's talking good about Tom Brady. I mean, the praise going to this quarterback that he was talking about was, in my head, I'm going, he must be talking about Tom Brady, right? He's got that it factor. He's a special talent. He's got the it factor on the field, off the field. And then he goes into saying about that same quarterback that he's praising. He says, you know, I've... I've experienced it with him in the locker room. He was talking about Tyrod Taylor when Taylor was with the Ravens. What I'm going, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Really? That's, wait a minute. You're praising a quarterback. You're saying he's got that it factor. You're not even talking about the greatest quarterback of all time? You're not? What, what are we doing? Ray Lewis. What an absolute fucking clown. I'm going to play an audio clip for you. If you didn't hear that that quarterback moment that he had, praising Tyrod Taylor all night, he also had a little moment that uh, I will never let him forget, uh, or I will never forget, in which they're going around the the whole panel on that desk that's on the field on Monday Night Football. Uh, Who would you take? I mean, the stupidest question of all time. This question should be a question that you should have to answer just to get a job at ESPN. Like, just to see how, if are you a clueless clown or are you someone that's going to give and provide, you know, some analysis that is straightforward and that is meaningful to a knowledgeable sports audience? This should be a question you have for someone in that job interview. Who would you take as your coach, Rex Ryan or Bill Belichick? They asked this on the panel on TV last night. This was a question on TV. Here is how Ray Lewis answered that. Here's audio of Ray Lewis answering uh, this this question. Who would you rather have, Bill Belichick or Rex Ryan as your coach? For what his family stands for, right? And when you see that culture, I, I, I'm not playing. For, I'm not choosing nobody else but Rex Ryan. If, if you're asking me, Bill Belichick or Rex Ryan, I'm, I'm taking Rex Ryan all day. I, I mean, what? What the fuck is this guy? What is he smoking? This isn't, and, and sometimes I think these guys, they do it for the controversy. They do it for the, the clicks or uh, they want the retweets and they say things. They want the attention. They want the controversy because everybody's talking about them. I honestly think that Ray Lewis believes this. Like Ray Lewis, deep down inside, would pick Rex Ryan over Bill Belichick to be his coach. And you, I'm sorry, you have to be, and this isn't even me, like, I'm not wearing my a patri- my 
Bledsoe Patriots jersey right now, which is what I have. I have a Bledsoe Patriots jersey. I had the old school ones, you know, the, the real bright blue, like the 97 Super Bowl Patriots. I, they wore white in that Super Bowl, right? The white jerseys, but the blue ones, the Ben Coates, Curtis Martin, Ben Coates, Curtis Martin, Drew Bledsoe, you know, those ones. The, 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 the huge Pat the Patriot on the shoulder. I have the blue number 11, uh, Drew Bledsoe. But um, I'm not wearing that right now when I say this. And I don't think you need to be a Patriots fan to laugh at that. In fact, I saw people on Twitter tweeting out, say, you know, I'm a Ravens fan or, or I'm, a, I'm a Bills fan, and I still I laugh at that comment to take Rex Ryan over Bill Belichick is the most absurd thing that you could ever say, as in, not just as an analyst, but just as a human. Just as, just as an absolute fucking human. Like, you got to be a dickhead. Bottom line is you you got to be a major dickhead to pick Rex Ryan over Bill Belichick as your head coach. I mean, you do. And I could not believe that, that Ray Lewis said that and did that last night, but he did. And it's just, it's embarrassing, really. It's embarrassing for ESPN. And it, it's, it's just, it was an embarrassing moment for the NFL, ultimately, last night, hearing that pregame conversation from Ray Lewis. Not only is he praising Tyrod Taylor, and, and really, the exact praise that he was given, the description of the quarterback he was given was the description of Tom Brady. And he's given it about Tyrod Taylor. And then he says, well, I take Rex Ryan over Bill Belichick. This guy is lost. This guy is clueless. Well, how do you even have him as an analyst? That should be a question in the job interview. Who would you take as a head coach? Rex Ryan or Bill Belichick? If you say Rex Ryan... If you're that employer, you say, okay, thanks for coming in. Uh, we'll get back to you if we think that uh, we can't find anybody else to do the job, probably. But you will, because the next person you bring in and you ask them that question, if they have a fucking brain, they're going to say Bill Belichick is the coach that you pick out of those two. So it's just maddening. Drives me fucking crazy. And and it's just another thing. But to even to go back to his first point, praising Tyrod Taylor. You saw Tyrod Taylor in this game last night. I mean, I saw, I tr- I heard some people praising Taylor this week leading into the game. I'm going, oh my God, can we stop? Like, who are we talking about right now? We're talking about Tyrod Taylor. It's, it, this is, this is, stop. Okay? He's nothing special. He's nothing great. And last night, he had several opportunities to make big plays down the field, and every single ball that he threw was underthrown. Underthrown. And if the Patriots defensive backs, decided that they wanted to turn around and make a play on the football, then they could have picked this guy off at least three of those times on those underthrown balls. It's just, you know, to beat the Patriots, look, the Patriots offense is banged up, and I know we're going to move on to Denver now, and guess what? Almost moments after I recorded yesterday's podcast, the news came out that Peyton Manning will not start for the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. It will be Brock Osweiler. <laughs> and no, uh, I don't think that Barack Osweiler is as much of a beast as Barack Lesnar. It's, it's, it's not. He's not a beast. But I will say this. I do think he gives the Broncos a little bit better chance of um, doing some damage with their offense than Peyton Manning, a seemingly banged up and elderly Pey- Peyton Manning is right now. Um... It's just that game's still not going to come down to Denver's quarterback, though, because as as much of an improvement as maybe Brock Osweiler may be to Peyton Manning, 
it's he's not again. He's one of these. He's not one of these superstar big name quarterbacks. The the, the only way a team's going to beat the Patriots this season, the only way, is through a dominant defense and a quarterback that is one of these big names, elite guys. And you know the Patriots' schedule moving forward. Denver's going to be their toughest test because of Denver's defense and because it's in Denver. We'll wait to see if DeMarcus Ware plays. If he doesn't, that's going to be a huge loss for Denver. He's their team's sack leader. Uh, obviously, we know what, what Denver's secondary. We know they have the best pass defense in football. But, I mean, you got to look, you got to give credit to the Patriots' defense as well. They've been making big plays. They were without Jamie Collins against, again last night. I think Jamie Collins is going to be huge in this Denver game. I've been saying it for weeks. And in fact, if that's why maybe they're being overly cautious with him to get him to be 100% for that Denver game next weekend, so be it. I mean, let it happen. They, and they're doing it. But you hope he's in that game, right? But at the same time, I mean, if Den- the only reason I'm giving Denver a shot is because of their defense. I, Brock Osweiler, yeah, I guess he's better than Peyton Manning at this point, but he's not someone that I think is going to go into that game and put up superstar elite numbers and make the monster throws that need to be made to beat the Patriots. So, even with a banged-up Patriots offense, I still think they can get the job done. I still think they can go to Denver and win. It will be their toughest test. But know this. Know this. With Denver having two losses, with Cincy having two losses, after the Denver game, the Patriots play at home against Philly. Then they go to Houston. Then they come home against Tennessee. Then they go to the Jets and to the Dolphins. Eagles, Texans, Titans, Jets, Dolphins. Let's look at those quarterbacks for a minute. And again, Philly, you know, I don't know if Sam Bradford's going to be ready to play. You're looking at Sanchez. And even if Bradford does play, so what? Put Bradford in. All right, we'll say Sanchez, Bradford. Then TJ Yates. Then Marcus Mariota. Then... Ryan Fitzpatrick, who they still say in New York is the right man for the job. And then Ryan Tannehill. Look, there is no elite quarterback in that group. And it begins with Brock Osweiler, who is not elite. Some people want to make comparisons to Osweiler, maybe taking over for Peyton like Tom Brady took over for Drew Bledsoe. But, you know, Tom Brady, they that first year with him, they did some things, managed the game the right way with him. And I'm not saying, you know, he didn't help the team win a Super Bowl because he did, but he certainly wasn't the superstar quarterback that he is right now. He wasn't. Uh, and, and I don't look at Osweiler being somebody that's going to step into this moment the rest of the season and lead the Broncos to a championship. I just don't see it that way. So there is not one elite quarterback on this list of the teams that the Patriots play. I give Denver a shot because it's in Denver and because they have really the best defense in the National Football League and the best pass defense in the NFL. Uh, but outside of that, it's going to take a combination of the best defense or one of the best defenses and an elite quarterback. And none of the teams on this schedule, you know, after this Denver game, meet that requirement. So to me, uh, if the Patriots can beat the Broncos, Patriots go undefeated. I think they do. I think they go undefeated. And uh, for people that think that maybe they won't go for it because of potential injuries, I think they do go for it. I, I mean, I think they do. I think they go for it. And I think, you know, maybe that final game, um, they just make it a 
who knows, a, a ground and pound with LeGarrette Blount, but maybe he runs all over Miami in Miami in week 17 on January 3rd. But, you know, now we're ready for Denver, and the questions on the Patriots are this. Can their offense survive all these injuries? And my answer, you can say that I'm sipping the Kool-Aid all you want, but it seems to be all I know because it's all the Patriots show me is that, yes, the next man up is going to work again, even if Amendola is out for an extended period of time. And the next guy up, in my opinion, is going to be this kid, Chris Hopper. It is. It's going to be Hopper. So uh, I'm buying in. I'm buying in it's going to work. I'm buying in that they're going to fix the issues on the offensive line. And and you know what? I'm buying in that the Patriots still have a chance to go undefeated and a pretty damn good one, especially if they can somehow beat Denver on Sunday night. Uh, but as we get closer to that game, uh, the rest of this week, I'll I'll give my picks and my Week 12 preview on tomorrow's podcast, on Wednesday's podcast, because tomorrow on Wednesday will be the last show of the week. No show Thanksgiving, obviously. No show on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. And then next Monday, I will not be here because I'm moving out of my apartment and I need that day uh, all focused on that. So I need the entire day there. So tomorrow, the last show this week, and then I'll be back next Tuesday to get into my regular daily routine here on this show. But uh, I will preview all of Week 12 tomorrow. Give my picks. I don't know. Will the Patriots, will they be part of these picks? You'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, if you're asking me to pick the Patriots and whether or not they go undefeated, I say even with the offensive injuries, they have a damn good shot because I believe in the next man up approach. But even if they do somehow lose that game to Denver or or one game moving forward, then they still have the number one seed in the AFC locked up. I believe that. Look, the only team that has a chance to beat the Patriots is Denver because of their defense. That's it. And I'm still giving the Patriots a shot. Everybody, Philly, Houston, Tennessee, Jets, Dolphins, they're not going to beat the Patriots. They're not. It's not going to happen. So, um, if any team wants to end, you know, if, if, if you're Mercury Morris, I think that you should really be rooting for the Broncos on Sunday night. Because Mercury Morris, you know, that undefeated Dolphins team, they pop, they pop the champagne every time the last undefeated team loses. And uh, I, if, if Mercury Morris wants to pop the champagne this year, in the regular season at least, he's going to have to hope that he's popping that champagne on Sunday night or at least getting the Patriots out of the way. I don't think they'll pop the champagne for just one of the last two undefeated teams because Carolina's still undefeated. I think they're in a they're in for a tough test against the Cowboys this week. I think they're in for a tough test with Romo back. If you listen to yesterday's podcast, you know how I feel about that. I think I'm giving the Cowboys a chance to get in the playoffs. I am. I really am. Even at three and seven, I'm. How can you not give them a chance to win the division? And I think that's going to be a tough game for Carolina. So uh, who knows? I mean, that could you know Mercury Morris could have the champagne ready to go by Sunday night, right? And uh, if he wants to drink it. And, and and pop that champagne, he better be rooting for the Denver Broncos because that is the only team that I see on the Patriots' schedule that's going to have a chance to beat them moving forward. So I will move on from that. And uh, I'm on to Denver, as everybody else will be. Uh, one other, uh, A couple of the NFL notes here. The, the NFL deflate gate. Yes, we're not done with deflate gate. The deflate gate appeal 
The NFL's Deflategate appeal is set for March 3rd in New York. For people that were concerned that this appeal would take place in a federal court in New York the week leading up to the Super Bowl, uh, in case the Patriots are there, fear not. You know, don't don't be scared about this. I told you that would not happen. The date they said, you know, no sooner. They said it would happen no sooner than the first week of February. But they're going to do it on March 3rd in New York. That's when the NFL's Deflategate appeal will be set. Uh, And another NFL note, actually, Johnny Manziel, that's the news today, the big NFL story. Not that the officials completely fucked up last night and almost cost the Patriots the game, but the big story is Johnny Manziel, what, a TMZ video caught partying during the bye week? Caught partying? Now, normally... I would react to this and say, leave the fucking kid alone. Let the kid live a little bit. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of players on their bye week that are not sitting home on the Saturday night of their bye week uh, in their study in their playbook. Like, I, I'm just, I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen. You might get some people to do that, but not everybody. So, I'd say leave the kid alone. But Manziel is in a situation where he was just caught in that incident in the car with his girlfriend or whatever she was, you know, uh, not too long ago. He just got handed and named the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. Just for one week, can you just not go out? Just one week. That's all That's all anybody's asking. Normally, I'd roll my eyes and say, let the kid live. But in this specific situation, come on, Johnny football's got to be just for one week. Can you just stay home and maybe study the playbook just once? For the 2-8 and eight Browns, you just got handed the job. Come on. Smarten up. There's a time and a place for everything. Your situation this season, this year, given the circumstances that you're in, that your team's in, that you and your personal life, some things that have happened off the field recently all over the news, all that stuff combined, can you just stay home the weekend of your bye and maybe study the playbook? You want to stay home? You want to have a couple friends over for some drinks and some... Uh, some video games? I don't know. Figure it out. Play some Beirut in your apartment, in your house, wherever you're living. You want to do that? Go ahead. I'm sure you must have something pretty cool going on in your house, right? To make sure everybody throws their cell phone in a bucket when you walk in. I mean, come on now. Instead, you're out at a club partying. I mean, this is just... You just got to be a little bit smarter than that. And I can understand Mike Patton being pissed off. I mean, he's been fighting the Manziel thing anyways. He did not want to make Manziel the starting quarterback anyways. And he finally did. You know, I think he cringed when he made this decision. I wouldn't be surprised if the if the Cleveland Browns organization, the higher-ups above Pettin, forced him to make Manziel the starting quarterback. And this is what you're going to do afterwards? Come on. Time and a place for everything. For Johnny Manziel, this was not the time nor the place during the bye week. So, uh... He's got to figure that out, and I don't know what Cleveland's going to do, but that seems to be the other biggest story in the NFL outside of, well, the Patriots beating the Bills 2013. The biggest story should be this awful officiating last night, and I'm not somebody that goes into the officiating during a game or complains about umpires or refs, but last night this was just embarrassing, an embarrassing moment for the league to blow the whistle for no apparent reason while the Patriots were scoring a touchdown. (laughs) And literally ripped seven points off the board. Not on my scoreboard. I have 27 to 13 written on on my 
piece of paper here where it says the Patriots beat the Bills. Everywhere else says 20 to 13. In my notebook, it says 27 to 13. All right? That, that's the way it looks. So uh, we'll move on from that game, and I'll move on to Week 12 on tomorrow's show. Right now, to close out the show, I will move on just with a couple of Major League Baseball rumors. Uh, one more important than everything else, at least locally, is that according to Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated, yesterday on Monday on MLB Network, Tom Verducci, Sports Illustrated, he said this about Dave Dombrowski and David Price. Verducci said, quote, I believe David Price is going to Boston. Dave Dombrowski is all in. End quote. So there you go. They say Dombrowski's all in on Price. I told you I thought he would be. I told you he should be. I love this rumor, but I don't think he should be done there. I think that you should go out. You should be all in on David Price. And then you have the winter. Get that out of the way before the winter meetings. Right? Sign David Price. Go all in. Make him an offer he can't refuse. And then you get to the winter meetings and you kick around some trade offers to some teams like Oakland, Miami, and Chicago White Sox for their ace pitches. And you say, how do we get your guy? Who do you want? Let's make a deal and make them an offer they can't refuse to. You can sign the starting pitcher and then you can trade for the dominant starting pitcher. I think the Red Sox are in position to be able to do both. At least I want to see them do both. But a good sign here is that, according to Tom Verducci, Dave Dombrowski and the Boston Red Sox are all in on David Price to the point where Tom Verducci says he believes David Price will be coming to the Red Sox. That would be the, my, on the top, he would be the guy on the top of my list for Major League Baseball free agents. Another Red Sox-related baseball story, Hanley Ramirez, he's going to play winter ball in the Dominican Republic. At first, there's a lot of people that hear that news and they're like, oh, I love it. He's going to be playing in the offseason. He's not going to sit around and do nothing. Well, I don't know. It is, is, does playing winter ball, I mean, does that always translate into a dominant major league season? I don't, I don't, like, get all excited that he's playing winter ball. In fact, I kind of look at Hanley playing winter ball wondering, does this mean, you know, he could possibly get hurt this offseason? I don't want to see that. I almost would rather have Hanley just sort of take, just work out. Just go to the gym, you know, run, do some jogging, stay in shape, eat healthy, take some hacks uh, in the batting cage, right? You want to do some work on the field? Go ahead. I don't know that I necessarily need him playing winter ball. I don't need that. Like, I know some people are excited about that. I'm sort of, eh. It's, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I, I'm not necessarily begging Hanley to play winter ball. Here's what I'm begging. I'm begging for him to not play first base for the Red Sox. He can't play the outfield, but I feel like he should be the third baseman. And Pablo should be the first baseman. And if that can't happen, I'm begging for maybe the Red Sox to try and move Hanley. That, that's it. But um, given the fact that David Ortiz has now announced that he will retire after 2016, I'm sure the Red Sox are looking at that going, okay, Hanley will be our DH after this season. And, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, that is best-case scenario for Hanley Ramirez if he is going to stay with the Red Sox to eventually, sooner rather than later, Beginning in 2017, 
being the designated hitter for the Red Sox and not having to play the field. But the story that Hamley's going to play winter ball, eh, I don't know. Doesn't, doesn't do much for me, to be honest, with my Hamley-Ramirez expectations. I, the question I have about Hamley is can you give us, you know, a, a good enough offensive performance all year long where maybe your defense, we can live with some bad defensive plays? And that's the biggest question I have is I, I, I'm just not so sure he can. I'm just not so sure he's the offensive player that we all want him to be. Like, I just don't know that, that, that he has that anymore. So, uh, but apparently he is going to play winter ball in the Dominican Republic. My reaction to that is, eh, okay. But, but I don't care what you do there. Just make sure that you perform beginning the first week of April in the Major League Baseball season. That's it. And to be able to perform in the Major League Baseball season for an entire season, I don't necessarily think that you have to play winter ball. I don't. So, uh, that's just another Red Sox story that is out there right now. So, wrapping up this show, uh, I will be on WEEI tonight from 10 to midnight. So, make sure you tune in tonight, Tuesday night, 10 p.m. to midnight on WEEI 93.7 FM here in Boston. And again, I'm here five days a week on this podcast. You can get this show whenever you want by subscribing to the Danny Picard Show on iTunes. You can also get it at dannypicard.com. And if you don't have an iPhone or iTunes, I, I recommend the TuneIn app. You can subscribe to the Danny Picard Show on the TuneIn app. It is free. Follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page. Also like me on Instagram. Again, WEEI tonight. We'll be talking more Patriots. Their big win over the Bills. What the offense is going to look like moving forward. I'll take your phone calls and your reaction. Again, 10 to midnight tonight. And I'm back here tomorrow on the Danny Picard Show to give you my Week 12 preview and wrap up this Thanksgiving week with Picks Picks. Five games with the spread for Week 12. It's all coming on tomorrow's podcast. I'm out. Talk to you then.